Hi, it's Chris, and this is a new DocuPod, audio reads of important public documents. No conversation, no interview, just the document itself. For new DocuPod listeners, welcome. The service has gotten incredible feedback. Here's why I do them. First, with our democracy under stress, these documents are interesting and essential. Second, with all of the spin, it helps to know the exact words ourselves. And three, those exact words are powerful much more powerful than that third-party spin. And of course, it's really hard to find time to read them. So here's today's. You may have noticed, especially with the impeachment, there's been a lot of news coverage and discussion, tweets, speeches, rallies, angry letters, hearings, cable panels, around two branches of government, the executive and legislative. But assuming House Speaker Nancy Pelosi indeed sends the two articles of impeachment to the Senate, and assuming Majority Leader Mitch McConnell indeed convenes a trial, our third branch, the judiciary, will be front and center. That's because, as you may know, when the President of the United States faces an impeachment trial in the Senate, the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court presides. And that person, of course, is John G. Roberts. Now, we don't hear much from chief justices. Sure, they write some of the court's opinions, but they really don't do interviews, and they certainly don't tweet. So when they speak, their words carry great power, and everyone scrambles to read between their lines. Just recently, Chief Justice Roberts spoke. Actually, he published, on New Year's Eve, his annual year-end report on the federal judiciary. And of course, with the tensions among the government branches and with an impeachment trial likely on the horizon, this year's report was widely anticipated. Some relevant context. You may recall Robert's last comments that seemed to be directed towards President Trump in 2018. That's when the Chief Justice reminded the President that, quote, We do not have Obama judges or Trump judges, Bush judges or Clinton judges. What we have is an extraordinary group of dedicated judges doing their level best to do equal right to those appearing before them. That independent judiciary is something we should all be thankful for, end quote. President Trump tweeted back, quote, Sorry, Chief Justice John Roberts, but you do indeed have, quote, Obama judges, end quote, and they have a much different point of view than the people who are charged with the safety of our country, end quote. So what about now? Would Roberts say anything about President Trump? Would he reveal his feelings on the state of our nation, on whether we are in or headed towards a constitutional crisis? Roberts didn't disappoint. As the New York Times described, Roberts, quote, issued pointed remarks that seemed to be addressed, at least in part, to the president himself. The two men have a history of friction, and, Ch and Chief Justice Roberts used the normally mild report and Chief Justice Roberts used the normally mild report to denounce false information spread on social media and to warn against mob rule. Some passages could be read as a mission statement for the Chief Justice's plans for the impeachment trial itself. End quote. Some housekeeping. Once again, I'd be grateful for your feedback that you can send to me via email at chris at chrisreback.com. And if you like these docupods, as with my regular conversations, please give it the five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Okay, that's all. Quick reminder, if you live in the New York area, I'd love to see you at my live podcast event with Rick Wilson. Yes, the Rick Wilson on January 15th. All the details are at chrisreback.com slash rickwilson. Now, here's Chief Justice John G. Roberts' 2019 year-end report on the federal judiciary, dated December 31, 2019. 
In the fall of 1787, Alexander Hamilton enlisted James Madison and John Jay to join him in producing what became America's greatest civics lesson, the Federalist Papers. The three authors collectively wrote 85 brilliant essays for publication in New York newspapers over the next year, successfully advocating for ratification of the United States Constitution. Originally addressed, quote, to the people of the state of New York, end quote, generations worldwide have hailed their works as an enduring exposition on the core principles of our constitutional democracy. Hamilton, Madison, and Jay wrote under the shared pseudonym Publius, but historians have since deciphered the authorship of the individual essays. John Jay appears to have shouldered the lightest load of the trio, producing only five articles. Perhaps if Jay had been more productive, America might have rewarded him with a Broadway musical. But his low output did not arise from lack of industry. Historians have deduced that Jay's productivity was in fact hindered by a calamity that arose in the midst of the Federalist project, the Doctors' Riot. In the winter of 1788, New York newspapers reported accounts that medical students were robbing graves so they could practice surgery on cadavers. In April, the chatter gelled into a rumor that students at New York Hospital were dissecting a schoolboy's recently deceased mother. An angry mob stormed the hospital, and the mayor gave some of the medical staff refuge in the city jail. When the mob marched on the jail, John Jay, who lived nearby, grabbed his sword and joined Governor Clinton to quell the riot. In the ensuing commotion, a rioter struck Jay in the head with a rock, knocking him unconscious and leaving him, according to one account, with, quote, two large holes in his forehead, end quote. Hamilton and Madison pressed the Federalist project forward while Jay recovered from his injuries. It is sadly ironic that John Jay's efforts to educate his fellow citizens about the framers' plan of government fell victim to a rock thrown by a rioter motivated by a rumor. Happily, Hamilton, Madison, and Jay ultimately succeeded in convincing the public of the virtues of the principles embodied in the Constitution. Those principles leave no place for mob violence. But in the ensuing years, we have come to take democracy for granted, and civic education has fallen by the wayside. In our age, when social media can instantly spread rumor and false information on a grand scale, the public's need to understand our government and the protections it provides is ever more vital. The judiciary has an important role to play in civic education, and I am pleased to report that the judges and staff of our federal courts are taking up the challenge. By virtue of their judicial responsibilities, judges are necessarily engaged in civic education. As Federalist Number 78 observes, the courts, quote, have neither force nor will, but merely judgment, end quote. When judges render their judgments through written opinions that explain their reasoning, they advance public understanding of the law. Chief Justice Earl Warren illustrated the power of a judicial decision as a teaching tool in Brown v. Board of Education, the great school desegregation case. His unanimous opinion on the most pressing issue of the era was a mere 11 pages, short enough that newspapers could publish all or almost all of it, and every citizen could understand the court's rationale. Today, federal courts post their opinions online, giving the public instant access to the reasoning behind the judgments that affect their lives. But the judiciary does a great deal more. The Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts, which plays a central role in supporting federal courts nationwide, has developed a wide range of quality educational products, including online programs focused on the younger members of our communities. The Administrative Office has produced classroom-ready curriculum materials on teen-relevant topics, along with teacher training courses. 
The office organizes live events as well. For example, the, quote, Open Doors to Federal Courts, end quote, initiative invites students to participate in realistic mock legal proceedings in working courtrooms with a local host judge presiding and volunteer attorneys coaching. The Federal Judicial Center, which provides education and training for judges and court personnel, has also developed online educational resources for the general public, including a rich collection of materials related to the history of the federal judiciary. Judges from coast to coast have made their courthouses available as forums for civic education. The United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit recently opened its Justice for All Learning Center in the Thurgood Marshall U.S. Courthouse in New York City. The Eighth Circuit has helped pioneer the Judicial Learning Center at the Thomas F. Eagleton U.S. Courthouse in St. Louis. The Ninth Circuit has dedicated space in the Robert T. Matsui U.S. Courthouse in Sacramento for the Anthony M. Kennedy Library and Learning Center, a fitting tribute to an individual deeply committed to teaching about the values embodied in the Constitution. These learning centers revive the historic role of courthouses as vital and vibrant centers of a civically engaged community. Judges and court personnel are coordinating their efforts to develop best practices. In October, the Chief Judge of the Second Circuit and the Director of the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts convened a conference attracting federal judges and court staff from Maine to Guam to discuss innovative programs and resources that federal courts can use to help raise the nation's civics knowledge. Representatives, including judges, from every circuit in the country attended. Federal judges regularly participate in naturalization ceremonies across the country, becoming the first to greet many new citizens as, quote, our fellow Americans, end quote. And they also engage their communities as volunteers. Individual judges at all levels of the federal court system, including bankruptcy judges and magistrate judges, are personally involved in national, regional, and local education programs. As just one example, the current chief judge of the District of Columbia Circuit has, over the past two decades, quietly volunteered as a tutor at a local elementary school, inspiring his court colleagues to join in the effort. I am confident that many other federal judges, without fanfare or acclaim, are playing similar selfless roles throughout the country. The federal courts cannot, of course, take on the challenge of civic education alone. They depend on generous partners to extend the outreach work. My retired colleague, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, helped to found iCivics, a nonprofit that engages students in meaningful civic learning through free teacher resources, including video gaming. Open parentheses, as they say, to reach people, you have to meet them where they are. End parentheses. Justice Sonia Sotomayor has picked up the torch in that effort. The National Center for State Courts has developed innovative learning materials, including a graphic novel series about how the courts work. My counterparts in state, territorial, and tribal judiciaries across the country have their own robust public education initiatives. The National Constitution Center is leveraging its marvelous museum in Philadelphia with videos, online learning, and specialized training, including a, quote, drafting table, end quote, which illustrates how provisions of the Constitution evolved. Closer to home, the Supreme Court Historical Society co-sponsors an annual summer institute for secondary school teachers to assist them in teaching about the Supreme Court. And we at the Supreme Court partner with student and teacher programs sponsored by the other branches of the federal government, including the Senate Youth Program and the James Madison Memorial Fellowship Foundation, in addition to offering our own undergraduate internship program.
200 years ago, Chief Justice John Marshall referenced the Federalist Papers in his landmark decision of McCulloch v. Maryland, stating, quote, no tribute can be paid to them which exceeds their merit, end quote. The Federalist Papers provide a foundation for understanding our nation's charter, but as Marshall himself realized, those 85 essays are only a starting point. Civic education, like all education, is a continuing enterprise and conversation. Each generation has an obligation to pass on to the next not only a fully functioning government responsive to the needs of the people, but the tools to understand and improve it. I ask my judicial colleagues to continue their efforts to promote public confidence in the judiciary, both through their rulings and through civic outreach. We should celebrate our strong and independent judiciary, a key source of national unity and stability. But we should also remember that justice is not inevitable. We should reflect on our duty to judge without fear or favor, deciding each matter with humility, integrity, and dispatch. As the new year begins and we turn to the tasks before us, we should each resolve to do our best to maintain the public's trust that we are faithfully discharging our solemn obligation to equal justice under law. Once again, I am privileged and honored to be in a position to thank the judges, court staff, and judicial personnel throughout the nation for their continued excellence and dedication. Best wishes to all in the new year. Signed, John G. Roberts, Jr., Chief Justice of the United States, December 31, 2019. That was Chief Justice John G. Roberts' 2019 year-end report on the federal judiciary. One interesting footnote about the report pointed out by the New York Times. You know the current chief judge of the District of Columbia Circuit that Roberts mentioned, the one who, quote, has over the past two decades quietly volunteered as a tutor at a local elementary school, inspiring his court colleagues to join in the effort? That judge is Merrick B. Garland, nominated to the Supreme Court by President Barack Obama in 2016, but denied a hearing by Senate Republicans. Quick reminders. If you live in the New York area, I'd love to see you at my live podcast event with Rick Wilson. Yes, the Rick Wilson on January 15th. All the details are at chrisreback.com slash Rick Wilson. And if you liked this podcast, please give it the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. I'll talk with you soon.